Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey everybody, welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Jack Maxwell. Before we get to Jack, a few announcements. And first and foremost, our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there and see photos of our guests, see links to their social media. You can see stories that the guests have written. You can see stories that I've written. You can see links to our social media. And that is, of course, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram. Please follow us there. Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. There's links to our Facebook page, and you'll see links to Stitcher Radio and Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe for free. We're also on Spotify, if that's what you're into as well. And if you're listening on any of those formats, I do ask that you, A, please subscribe, and B, give us a good rating, because that boosts our presence there and helps more people find the show. And if you can do that, I would appreciate it. You think you'll be a good guest on the show? You know somebody who might be a good guest? You got travel questions you want to ask me? You want to say nice things? Well, if you want to do any of those things, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. All right, Jack Maxwell. Jack was a guy I just happened to run into at a travel event in Los Angeles in mid-April. And I hadn't seen Jack in, my gosh, it must have been over, over 10 years, maybe. He and I go way back, about 15 years ago. We were just a couple of young guys from back east trying to make it in Hollywood. And we would do these acting workshops where we'd do scenes and people would come in, casting directors, producers and stuff, would look for new talent. And every so often we'd see each other on TV doing whatever thing, whether it was acting or hosting or something. But as life goes on, you lose touch with people. And I hadn't seen him in a long time. And then one day, I'm turning on the Travel Channel, and there he is hosting a show called Booze Traveler, going around the world drinking with people. Now, this is an idea that I got to admit that I've pitched to numerous networks in the past, got nowhere with it. And then I turn on the TV, and there's Jack doing exactly that and doing a good job. So I was very jealous of him, and I admitted it to him during this interview. But I was happy for him, and he did the show for four seasons on Travel Channel. And then he told me that he had had a little cancer scare, but is in good shape now. And it was great to reconnect. So while he was in town, I asked if he wouldn't mind doing a podcast. He went all around the world with Booze Traveler, had a lot of great travel tales, and it was great to see him again. He's got a documentary project that he's producing and hosting that we talk about, and it's all good. I had a lot of fun catching up with him, and it was good to finally reconnect. So please enjoy my conversation with the booze traveler himself, Jack Maxwell. Happy Jack wasn't old, but he was a man. He lived in the sand at the island. Jack Maxwell's here, the booze traveler. Or as I remember you, some guy from my acting class. 20 years ago, make it, right? Yeah, doing our scenes. Something like that. And then you became uh, quite the travel expert as well. Yeah, well, we get around. I shouldn't say as well. You as probably well. know more than I do. You've been to over 100 countries. Yeah, but you're more well-known. So I've that. only done four seasons. It doesn't matter who's more well-known. <laughs> you have the experience, and people should know that. Uh, We've known each other for a long time, but I haven't seen you in probably over 10 years. Easy, yeah. Easy. Sure. And uh, I turn on my TV, and lo and behold... 
As I'm out there trying to pitch TV shows for travel shows, there comes the booze traveler, and lo and behold, it's Jack Maxwell. I said, you have got to be kidding me. And I, I admitted this to you when we ran into each other on Monday. I was insanely jealous, and I wanted to dislike the show, but uh, the show was great, and you were great in it. Thank you. So, Especially uh, under those circumstances. <laughs> well, it's a high bar, I as see. As Hollywood is, you know, we there's professional jealousy, and... You know, just I would have loved to do it. And then I, I got really mad at my agent that I never even read for it. Well, the funny thing is, and how, I, yeah, it wasn't my idea. Okay, walk us through how you got the show. So this is how fluky the business. And this was on the Travel Channel. Right. This okay. was on Travel Channel. Four it was seasons. called Booze Traveler, Four Seasons. Um, it's funny because I just went on an audition. It's not my idea. It never was. I just auditioned to host it, as you would have, had you gotten in. I know. And maybe you would have gotten it. Or had a better agent, apparently. And I would be interviewing you <laughs> about your experience. <laughs> I was an actor like yourself. And you had hosted something. You had a showbiz Yeah, show I, I had did. a couple of things, really. Uh, I did uh, 195 episodes, which is only one year because it was a daily show. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, called National Enquirer's Uncovered. That was a syndicated strip show, which means it's uh, on every day, different markets, different stations. And I hosted a thing for DirecTV called Movie Showcase. And that's about really the extent of it. Then uh, my agent calls and says, hey, uh, there's this show and you want to go on it. And they said you have to leave the country by, I remember the date, February 8th. And I said, and this hmm. is what, February 7th? You <laughs> well, no, this is November. They were way ahead of it, but I re or maybe yeah, maybe December because I knew I had booked a movie and we were filming and I was the co-lead, so I worked eighteen out of eighteen days, so it was going to go until February thirteenth. So that's six days inclusive of those two dates. So I said that's a third of the movie. I I can't possibly do this. So I wasn't even going to go on the audition, Mike. And then I said, why not just go practice? <laughs> so we went. We being me and uh, my positive attitude. I can't. I'll never yeah, get this. I'll never get this I anyway. Not, so I, I went and I did it and they gave it to me. And uh, as they did, I said, great, I can't do it. This is after a couple of auditions. What do you mean you can't do it? I said, I'm going out of town. I, I mean, uh, I'm filming and I can't go out of town with you. So they moved. Uh, they wanted me to do it, apparently. So they moved the schedule around and we switched out India for Nepal or the other way around. Instead of doing India, we did Nepal. So well, that's however not, I mean, they're right that. next to each other. Yeah, but it's the uh, events that were happening at each. Oh, okay. So we, we pushed it around a little bit, or they did for me. And then after I finished this film, as uh, soon as I wrapped, the day I wrapped, they flew me out to Hawaii to begin what would become the pilot. But interesting story, they were supposed to arrange a ride for me on the movie set because uh, I was leaving half the day. And they didn't. And the executive producer showed up just the first day and the last day. And he hit his fist on the table almost in a mocking way. But, you know, he wasn't really super mad. But he said, Jack, come on. I'll take you. These guys, come on, guys. You were supposed to be able to take Jack to the airport. How did you not arrange that? I'll take you, Jack. And so all the way from there up in the hills to LAX, and this was way out in the West Valley, so about an hour and a half drive, uh, I got stories of the Doors from John Densmore, oh. the drummer of the Doors, was the executive producer. That's interesting. And he was such a nice, kind man, 
super down to earth and just a good guy. So that whole movie shoot was wonderful. But then we went and we shot the pilot in Hawaii, Nepal, the aforementioned Nepal, Laos and Thailand. All for just the pilot? Yeah. Wow. They, well, the people who did it. Because the, uh, the show was basically be... you in one location, though. Right. Of course, as you know, and maybe you listening knows, a lot changes between conception yeah. and airing of a series. You have a pilot or a sizzle reel now. And the, uh, the original concept was going to be traveling around the world looking for drinks to take back to my bar that I would open in South Boston. But uh, after trying to sell it for about a year, they couldn't. And then one of the executive producers, to her credit, uh, got it in front of someone at Travel Channel at a off-party, uh, excuse me, at an off-site location. It's a place called Real Screen. And she made him look at the pilot on her laptop. And then soon after, we had a deal. So we changed the concept up a bit. It was just really a celebration of people and the joy of life and experience, and the drinks just got us into the scene. <laughs> but that's how it all began, and you should have auditioned. Well, I didn't know you as a particular... I mean, I, I think we had gone out a few times and had drinks, hmm. but you weren't known as a... What was your liquor background? Were you a bartender? I mean, at some point, I think maybe we've all waited tables in Tenet Bar. I know I have. But yeah, well, it's funny. I've never waited tables, and people think I was a bartender because in the show Open, it says, growing up in the bars of yeah. South Boston, so blah, just, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But I was a shoeshine boy as a little kid. A shoeshine boy? Yeah, <laughs> in the bars of South Boston. So I, I, for my ninth birthday, I asked for a shoeshine box, and that also happens to be Christmas Day, my birthday. So I, we were poor, and I combined the gifts just for one gift, and I got a, a nice shoeshine box. Get your shine box. Yeah, sure, of course. That's Get the, your shine box. This is even before that movie ever came out. <laughs> And so I'd go up and down Broadway in South Boston, or Southie as they call it, and I would shine shoes in bar rooms. And it was such a long time ago, I charged 10 cents and immediately went to a quarter because it was too much work. And I thought they were going to say, oh, wait a minute, that's too much. You just charged a dime a week ago. Nobody said boo. And I thought, oh, I could have been charging a quarter the whole time. <laughs> so I grew up in the bars in that sense, spent a lot of time there on the weekends and after school, what have you. And I was just regaled by these wonderful tales of adventure combined with drinks. And just I saw these people who were maybe different people outside of these pubs, bars, gin mills, whatever. I saw them become great storytellers after a couple of pops, as they would say. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, wow, I, that'd be great to be able to combine these two, right? But as a kid, I didn't like liquor. And they'd actually make me drink. Jackie, hey, there's a thing called whiskey. Try a sip of this. Yeah, you can shine my shoes. Take a sip. And it was disgusting. But I loved the storytelling part or listening to stories. And then, well, lo and behold, years later, I get to do both on Booze Traveler. Well, there's a long history of that. I mean, culturally, I should, certainly in the Irish culture, you get around, you tell stories. And music is always usually a part of it. Sure. And, uh, you know, the oil for all of it is, uh, is booze. And that's the so-called social lubricant, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. As they say, it is true of a lot of cultures. You're right, absolutely. So, uh, did you ever? Uh, your family Irish? Yes. Oh, I really? Am. From Boston? From South Boston? What? That was a leading question, you're Your kidding. Honor. I He's can't leading the witness. This. Had you been? Did you shoot there? We did, but it never made air. This was for uh, the continuation of the pilot, which never aired. Only pieces of it did. But I am, uh, truth be told. 
Sicilian and Irish. Oh, wow. And okay. a couple other things, because we all yeah. are. I went no, a- no anger issues there. 23. <laughs> what are you saying? I, I mean, you know, we can step outside if you got a problem. We can, <laughs> right. we can figure out if you want to. A lot of low-strung uh, people in the family, I'm sure. <laughs> not animated at all. No, not at all. <laughs> didn't like to drink, didn't like to eat. It's funny, in Boston, there's a lot of Italian and uh, Irish combination. Oh, sure, yeah. They, the whole East Coast. They meet, they get married, they have kids, they get divorced. Yep. Yeah. So how often do you go back? Your family still there? Uh, most of us left. My mother moved us out of there in 1975. But then I moved back uh, as soon as I could, as soon as I graduated high school, and to spend time with family and friends and get to know my father, who I didn't really know all that well because uh, they were divorced. And uh, my grandmother was still there, recently passed, and um, or not too long ago, but she's gone, and my great-grandmother. And so I have a couple of people left. Last time I was there, though, was to film a segment for Booze Traveler, and I got to throw out the first pitch at Fenway. Oh, there's a dream. Yeah, no, okay, a dream. Not- we got to film the whole game and everything. It was really great. So I've had uh, some friends. I've never done it myself, but I have some friends who do this, and then they say, "Don't just don't hit the dirt. Don't hit the exactly dirt. Exactly right. And somebody told him, just you're just playing catch in the backyard. Everybody wants to haul it you know, and throw a strike, a big leg kick, and just say, hey, we're just playing catch in the backyard. That's what were my you, catcher told were me. Were you freaking out? Uh, it was funny. Of all the games I played around the world and all the different things I did, running with bulls, etc., I was actually nervous because <laughs> sure. I know I know that with all the people there and your friends watching and friends watching and I mean it's the American pastime. <laughs> I knew that if I skipped it in, they'd never let me hear the end of it. Not only immediately at Fenway, but my friends forever. Or if I sailed it over yeah. his head or what have you. You're better off sailing it over the head than not making the plate. But you're exactly right, though, about not throwing it too hard. My catcher and guest in the scene is a guy named Ryan Dempster, okay, who pitched yeah. for the Red Sox one season. Great clubs, uh, Cubs closer is what I'm trying to say. I remember him. For years, and now he's a, he works on MLB Live. And uh, so he was my guest, but he taught me how to throw a four-seam fastball and knuckleball. <laughs> I said, listen, I'm going to get it over the plate. That's all I care. I don't need to, be, I don't need to strike the guy out. <laughs> and when it came down to it, I got one shot at it, and I threw a strike. Nice. Did, you, uh, did they give you, like, a photo, a plaque, or something like that? Well, we had the whole show. No, they don't, they don't do they that. They don't give you a, Come on. They, no. gotta give you, they don't give you anything? Well, I was filming, so I have it on DVD. And my friend— Well, I know I, you got video of it, but I, I thought had, maybe they'd give you a little medallion or something. Can no, you, it's not that. A plaque to hang on no, the wall. It's, it's, thank you very much. Yeah, go have a hot dog. <laughs> I, uh, I, it was great, though. I got to fly in six friends from around the, the country to— Witness this, including a couple of friends from Boston. No fun. Because, well, you know, throwing out the first, but you never could do that again. No. So it was really great, but you're right. Everyone said, whatever you do, don't skip it in. Oddly enough, a couple of weeks before that, there was a guy uh, up there who just had gotten over cancer, and it was for a special, maybe it was the Jimmy Fund or something like that, and he was really nervous, he said, but he threw it so far to the right, missed the catcher by maybe 10 or 20 feet, hit a photographer... Right in the in the scrotum. Oh, I saw that. You saw that. I did see that. And, that that and, went viral quick. Yes, it did. It's <laughs> just what the photographer wanted, Any, right? T- anytime anybody gets hit in the nuts, it goes viral. It, it's, it it's, does. It's never not funny. No, it, well, <laughs> unless you're that guy <laughs> yeah, getting hit exactly. in the nuts, then maybe it's... But uh, so I was really worried about that. So I, I was probably overthinking it, but then I just let it go and then <laughs> I hit his glove. So shooting commences uh, February of what year? What year was that? Well, that was just the pilot, okay. February uh, 2013. Right. 
And we shot over 24 days over, uh, like I said, Hawaii plus three other countries. And uh, Hawaii being the States, of course. But it was just they were trying to put together as much uh, On the way. as they you, could. You exotic locales, Hawaii, everything. Get, yeah. But it was great because for their lack of experience, they really put together something with heart. And uh, I don't know why the first time around Hollywood, everybody passed. But as soon as this guy, who had not seen it when it went to Travel Channel, he was a vice president, and he saw it and he says, yeah, I like that. And I think we can do something with it. And then they sorted it out. And a few months later, they greenlit it. And then April 2014, we started our very first episode in Turkey. Turkey, I've been. Which is, yes, you have. In Istanbul, or did you go yeah, to Istanbul Cappadocia as and well? all over. You did but the balloon ride? We didn't do the balloon ride, because okay. that's not safe to do when you're drinking. Uh, well, well but, you're not driving the balloon. There's you a know, but still, <laughs> up there, champagne shenanigans. Yeah, right. no, I, I did that in the uh, Southwest episode at, at Albuquerque, oh, sure. New Mexico. Yeah, yeah. That's the place to do it there. Although I hear it's beautiful in Turkey. But the, the one thing about Turkey that really surprised me in that it's 98% Muslim, I thought we wouldn't be able to find a drink anywhere. Oh, no, yeah. This... Well, I mean, because as a Muslim, you're not supposed to drink. And there were drinks everywhere. As a matter of fact, we went to a, sure. a, a liquor kind store. kind of Muslim light over there. I mean, it... Well, especially with the drinking. But yeah, yeah. Well, you're not supposed to because I ran into a guy who uh, was a winemaker. And I said, but you're a Muslim. You do something that's especially, specifically prohibited by the tenets of your religion. And he says, this is true. I said, well, then do you consider yourself a good Muslim? And he, again, he, this, this mock, uh, he feigned uh, yeah. that, that I, I hurt his feelings. <laughs> and what do you mean? Of course I'm a good Muslim. I made the, the Hajj, the pilgrimage to Mecca, not once but twice. My heart is good Muslim. My soul, good Muslim. But what about my mouth, Jack? <laughs> <laughs> what about my mouth, Jack? What about my mouth? So he makes really great wine. And it was wonderful to see that the stereotypes we have of people and places and religions and ethnicities around the world aren't necessarily true. And I think that was the one, I guess one of the things about the show that really made me proud is it wasn't about drinking or getting shit-faced and falling down. It was really an exploration and celebration of all the people, places, and cultures of the world, of course, through the lens of a cocktail glass. And, um, you know, it's what people drink why they drank it, and then the stories they tell when they do. And well, that's universal. Yeah, no, and also, you know, Bourdain would always touch on this, too. But uh, food and drink is our history. You know, why do you have this? Well, when the you know, Africans came, they brought this spice with them, and then we became famous for cooking this. And when we got taken over by the Romans, they, t they brought in wine and whatever. And then it's just what they eat, what all of us eat, is our history. It's that's our past. True. So we learn through... What we eat and drink, and the games we play, the sports, it's all part of us. It's really wonderful, too, how because the world is getting smaller with travel and being able to communicate and picking up the phone, and it's not a long distance call anymore. Everybody can call anywhere. I mean, I had a plan uh, that you could call around the world. There's 20 cents a minute at the most, free texting anywhere, just about 90% of the country. And so now food is really making a jump. For instance, we're in the Philippines, as I know you've been to. And Disappointing it, food for me. Yeah, well, it was really, uh, for the longest time, just very localized alcohol. And then they went uh, universal like that. And everybody's sending all their drinks. So they have all kinds of really uh, almost ahead of the curve. Like, it, it's same with Greece. 
I went to a place called Momix, a bar that's short for molecular mixology. And some of the stuff they do, it's like a science project meets a game show meets performance art. It's yeah. wonderful. There's foam so and there's drink, infused. But, but it's not just a gimmick. It's you're really drinking in their because they have they've the oldest civilization, right? Democracy, sure, yeah. all of that. As they say, they were spouting philosophy when our ancestors were swinging from trees. <laughs> but now they're really uh, doing some wonderful things with alcohol and drinks and cocktails, and it was just great to see around the world how much al- uh, alcohol and the celebration of things uh, means to people around the world is really great. So, how much? Well, first of all, how many shows were in a season? 16, 16 except for the first only 15 because, as you know, first year out, they weren't sure. They lit up six, then went to eight, then went to 13, then 15, all while we were on the road. So it just it's, it was so, the never-ending story. It was great. So then after you retooled the pilot and everything, it became one country per episode. Yeah, one we, place we, per episode. Yeah, it was pretty clear. Travel Channel did a really good job of... Uh, straightening everything up before we went on the road. We did not fly by the seat of our pants. The production company, Carga 7, uh, they were great. And so we, we were pretty clear about what we wanted to do. Some things, of course, evolved over time, and which is good. But for the most part, it was one country and everything about their people and, and their drinks. How, how many days in a location usually, like per episode? Is it a week? In the country, uh, something like that, or well, four the days? First season, there, it was a little experimental because we, like in Spain, we tried to cover a lot of the country, so we were there longer than normal. South Africa, 20 or 21 days. Well, South Africa so far, the, you can't just go there for four days and turn around and come back. you got to make it worth your while. <laughs> but by seasons three and four, it was pretty consistent we would film eight or nine days only with a day off somewhere in there and maybe a scout day. So we were in country no longer than 12 or 14 days, no matter where we went. We really had it down. How big of a crew you were, were you going with? We started with seven, then went to six, then five. Uh, and a couple of positions changed. We used to have a, a field supervisor, uh, and then that just became a field producer, because I had gotten handle of how to do it, and I trusted the, my DPs. There was one or two, the director of photography. Right. Uh, there were two that I really liked, and they'd switch them back and forth, and they were real sharp, really good at what they did. So we handled most of that. So it was only five of us. It would be me, the DP, his B-cam guy, and then a C-cam to get all kinds, you know, the sun coming up, a rooster crossing the road, sure. a market, a bazaar, whatever. And then the person who was the coordinator... So should should we'd have a local crew, like a couple of PAs or a fixer or something, and that person would meet with them and make sure we were all on time. The, that not that we were, that they were, and they had the lunches set and where we're gonna go, and we have the vehicles gassed up. All the, they did all the logistics, which is such a big part of it, so that I didn't have to worry about that. No, that's nice. Yeah. So did I know I've from shooting in foreign countries myself. Sometimes you run into maybe some government officials or anything that say, hey, you can't shoot here, you can't do that? Do you ever have any run-ins with cops or anybody like that or border patrol or government people? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we did. I, I think the most uh, extreme story relating to that, there's always people who are, um, you know, as you know, not, not just 
I mean, it happens in the United States too, I'm sure. But there's corruption everywhere. Oh yeah. So they see a foreign crew. They yeah, you, you got to bribe people. They want a little tickle to let us into this area or that or whatever. Yeah, lo- you, I'm guessing you had local fixers at every country. Yeah, we had all the paperwork. We never really had any problems. The production company, like I said, Carga, they just did a great job of pre-production. Huge part of the show. Although we would be in a location and I would see something and I would say, no, let's shoot that. That's not working. Let's go over there. This looks interesting. So we had that kind of freedom. But they set us up with plenty of guests and scenes, uh, although we did have some latitude. But... The, for me, the closest, other than uh, physical danger like running with bulls or uh, being at a, a stadium that the bomb went off at or lightning strike or all of that kind of stuff, I almost got arrested and backdoored by, uh, in Nepal by a, some kind of officer. I tried to go back into the airport with water for the crew. And uh, what I didn't see was when I walked out, to the store, there were two armed guards with a rifle and bayonets, and I didn't see them because I just went out the door and found the store, came back with six waters for everybody, whatever, and they crossed their very, you know, almost like a movie. They crossed their their rifles and bayonets (laughs) to prevent me from walking in and said, what are you doing, basically? I'm going back in. I got the water. You were just in there? Yeah, yeah, I got the water. Look, there's my crew. And just like in a dream, they didn't see me. I could see them through the glass doors, and I'd, you know, bang, but I wouldn't want to bang too much. I'd get arrested. I was just knocking on the, and, and it, they wouldn't let me open. I'd just the window, actually, not the doors. <laughs> and as soon as the door opened, I'd shout. They couldn't hear me. They were over there getting the bags or doing whatever with the carnet, you know, uh, with all the luggage getting signed out. So, uh, and, and all the gear. So they, they said uh, something to each other in Nepalese, right? And uh, so a guy came over with a beret who looked very official and a slightly different uniform, so I know he's above them, and he said, you, come. And I had to walk. Those guys were behind me. He was in front of me with the riding crop under his arm, and they were walking down the longest sidewalk I've ever seen at an airport. For a small airport, it just went on and on and on, and I I thought to myself, I'm going to get back roomed. Like, they don't like me for whatever reason. And I, I know better. I want to be a good guest wherever I go. But I know not to, you know, say something to military people. Mm-hmm. Never to, you know, smarten, you know, to be a smart aleck with them. So at the end of the sidewalk, almost at the end, he turns around and looks me up and down and says, go. And the, the guards separated and let me walk back. And they let me walk back in. The airport. <laughs> what were they trying to prove? Like uh, they, they were, didn't ask you for anything. They they wanted to see if I was you know up to mischief. We gotta put a bomb up a fight or something. Something I don't know. They figured look if he really wanted to go in there to cause harm or he had a bomb or yeah. he wouldn't be more than water. A, yeah right. <laughs> so I went back in and I told the crew and they said why didn't you call us? Why didn't you tap on the window? Of course I did that. You didn't see me. <laughs> but that's it. That was probably the time I thought I was in the most trouble. But other than that, it was great really. Okay, I know you. What I liked about the show was the was the moments. Not only it only not only had you drinking, but it would always end with you in the morning after, and a hangover <laughs> cure. Yeah, you know a lot of places are famous 
for the hangover cures in as Brazil, well. In Brazil, it was the uh, acai, uh, acai. That's right. And That's they would right. give you those smoothies and stuff. That sure. was great. And the coconut water. Yep. Coconut water is a big one around Got the world. soups around the world, yeah. uh, hair of the dog, whatever it is. Although, I have to say, it wasn't really about excess. But when we had a hangover cure, I figured, well, wait a minute. Tomorrow we're shooting a hangover cure. I might as well have a couple of drinks tonight. <laughs> it's a built-in excuse. Right. In some places, it's not even about the amount that you drank. It would be what you had because it was so different. Your body's not used to it. And I know you know because we've had this conversation, some strange stuff out there. Oh, yeah. Not strange in the sense that it was repulsive or, or uh, weird or something that I wanted to make. Just different. It took a little getting used to is what I mean. What was the toughest one you had that you had a bad reaction to? Hmm. Well, people ask if I've ever gotten sick on the show. And I, I got sick, but not from drinking. I never threw up. I got Food I th- poisoning? I threw up because we all we went to the favelas oh. in, in Rio. and you had uh, water. And we all got sick the next day. Uh, even though we have bottled water where we go. I don't know what it was. We all caught a stomach bug. Yeah. So we took turns, and we had very limited filming that day and the next. Um, and then I was in New Zealand... And woke up in the middle of the night uh, throwing up, and then uh, there was some blood mixed with that. And then I found out later it was probably because I had cancer. I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in April of 2016. So that might have had something to do with it. But never a drink. A drink made me queasy, and there's some out there that are crazy that right. I've had that I could list for you. But never once did I puke from uh, either too much alcohol or a weird drink, really. Well, we'll talk about the cancer in a little little later on, but I wanted to before we get off the show, I wanted to ask you, you know, when people see, you know, somebody drinking on camera and, and doing that, they wonder, well, how many can you have on camera? You still got a job to do. You still got to lead the show and speak. Sure. You know, you, there's fun. We love to see you having fun on camera, but did, is, is there a point there like either producers cut you off or you cut yourself off and say, "Hey, we got to get through this. You can't have Yeah, I know they're trying to make you do another shot, but it's all about the balance, right? Yeah. Because we have to film, and we had long days and six days a week. So I would drink because culturally, if you don't, you're insulting people. Them. You're insulting them. So I made sure I did, and for some reason, being an Irish kid from Southie, I can hold my liquor. Big surprise. <laughs> but you got a nice crust around your liver, the little yeah, my protective li- shell. We're not talking to each other right now, my <laughs> liver and I. Although we're not on speaking terms. Although I'm thinking about sending over a drink. That's nice. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny because in television, sometimes you don't get the shot or you have to do a close-up and insert, as it's called. So then I'd, I'd, I'd drink, but it wouldn't be the liquor because I'd, I would, I would be, I'd be dead. Yeah. So every time I drank, I, I really drank the liquor that was offered to me. But I, I, I can't do nine shots, I'd be dead. Or a whole big drink. <laughs> but, but there was no trickery, camera-wise. Uh, if we had to get a close... For instance, if I truly did a shot, but the camera didn't capture it, I'd have to do it again, but it would be water this time, right. because I really did have the liquor, they didn't just catch it. For whatever reason, I was blocking them, or it was bad lighting or whatever. So if I said I drank it, I really did. And the people who were there, uh, especially the locals that didn't speak the language, you must be really careful that you're not gonna, it's not Hollywood television, that you're faking everything. So what I said I drank, I really did. 
But once I got diagnosed and we were doing the show, I had to be a little more careful of what I was drinking. So uh, I would have a lot of, um, I'd have some non-alcoholic drinks after I had the first one with alcohol in it, just again for the aesthetics, just to shoot it. Give me the one alcohol you had that you just couldn't, you know, you had to choke it down and you said, if I never get near that again. Does one really stand out? Just one? Yeah, or any of them. Like, what are, what are some of the, the lowlights of uh, what you drink? Well, for people who know the show, the one I get, uh, although I've, 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 I've had spit beer, uh, cow blood, frog <laughs> in a blender, but people somehow uh, seem to remember, all, although they remember those two, fermented mare's milk in Mongolia. We were in the Gobi Desert, and to be on the land of the nomads, you have to drink three bowls of, depending on where you are, in one place it's camel milk vodka, which is just a vodka. The other one is fermented mare's milk. So they have a mare, they milk it, and uh, they ferment the milk, and it turns so... It's sour. Sour and rancid. It tastes like vinegar, but oh. it, it, it also feels like you swallowed bees because it's so hard to get down. And your stomach is rejecting it right away, almost ammonia-esque. Ugh. And it was so strange. But if you don't drink it, you can't be on their land. And this goes back centuries, I'm sure, that if you would drink with them and yeah, get hammered, Genghis Khan. you're not going to take over the land, right? <laughs> yeah. You're not going to steal from them. And because uh, everyone, you know, they're, they're not, uh, they're a peaceful people. They're not warriors, the nomads. So you get drunk with them on their land, you're going to just fall asleep. So I had to do that. Ugh. But it was real strong. And it's not strong in the sense of taste. The alcohol is not that strong. Yeah, but I've had say, things that were 80, 90% alcohol Ugh. that would just burn. It's, it's like it's drinking like, it's... Drano that's on fire. It <laughs> yeah, hurts so moonshine. much. Yeah, More. This stuff. Where'd called, you have that? In Lithuania, there's a drink called Zalgaris. And it has herbs and tree roots and things like that. But uh, it's... It's like gasoline. Anywhere between 75 and 90% alcohol. Oh. So, you know, 150 to 180 proof. But it's- uh, Don't it's, smoke around It's me. moonshine. <laughs> Funny you say that. <laughs> okay. I wanted to take some home with me. They wouldn't let me take it on the plane because it's so flammable. Yeah. It's like bringing a bomb on the- That's what they should stop you. Yeah. <laughs> when they're bringing that yeah, stuff the on alcohol, the- alcohol, sure. Not like bringing waters back in the airport. Zalgaris, try it if you can get it. You'll see what <laughs> I'm talking about. You said when you went to Turkey, immediately you were- your perceptions of a place were changed. Sure. What were some of the places that you remember that really kind of changed your perception going into it, coming as coming out of it? You know, it's funny. Every time we were going to go somewhere, I had an idea in my head, right? For instance, if someone says Paris, what do you think of? Eiffel sure. Tower, Champs Romance, Zay, every movie romance, you've seen. Sure, all of that. Uh, Arc de Triomphe, whatever. And so these images come into your head, but you never know what it's really like till you get there because it's the interactions that make the the trip. So even places I've gone to more than once, I had a completely different experience because I met different people and did different things. So I would say, to answer your question, every place I went to was not what I thought it was. (laughs) And I would say just about every single one of them was for the better. So... I would come back, and and my friends would say, oh, that's great. Yeah, I see you on the show. Tell me stories. 
And I realized I was telling stories not of the things I saw, but the people I met. It was never the monuments or the mountains of the world. It was the people and the interactions. And for me, that was fascinating because I, I didn't picture people when I would picture a place, right? You think the Middle East, you think pyramids and camels or Eiffel Tower, London Dungeon or Big Ben or whatever, right? The, anything, you just picture what, what we've been trained to believe a place is. But it's always, always about its people. Well, give me some of those people that really blew you away. I mean, who was there somebody, do you remain in contact with anybody? Do you- sure, I do, actually, I do. Not as many as I would like to, to be honest, because we all get busy yeah, sure. and what have you. But uh, some of our fixers were just so wonderful and made it easy for us. Off the top of my head, I had a driver in Italy. And uh, one day in the car, I just started singing... That's amore. Just because I would sing, whatever. This doesn't have to be Italy. I'd sing whatever came into my head. And he was very polite. And then he turns to me and said, Jack, any other song in the world, please. (laughs) Anyone, it doesn't matter. I won't say a word. Please don't sing of that anymore. And I laughed because I knew. He said the first year that song came out, back in the day, everybody loved it. Now they're sick of it. Of course. So every morning, of course... I'd come out of the hotel and slide down the sidewalk and sing because he'd be outside waiting with a coffee and for me and him and the door would be open to the car and he'd be standing outside and as loud as I could, I'd burst out and when the moon hits your... <laughs> Jack, end the other song, please. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I, no, not that more. Volare. Oh, Volare. Jack, any Cantare. other song, please. Any other song, not that song. That's like, that's, like Ameri- that's like somebody visiting America going, I'm a Yankee Doodle Dad, right. and all day. But with, any other song. With Valar, it's funny, because then I went to that Amore, and he said, a little better. That's why I had that in my head. <laughs> I was ahead of myself in the story. But it, it's so funny, like that, and we laughed about it. Uh, there, was a, there was a guy in Ireland that he was telling me great stories of the, the history of the country. And well, that's just you didn't go to Ireland. Oh, he did go to Ireland. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, uh, I think it was Morocco you asked me if I went no, to No, I asked you if you went to the motherland of uh, Ireland. Oh, yeah, I did. Okay. I just didn't see family there like I did in Sicily. Yeah, you shot there, though. You shot in Ireland, yeah. Which part of Ireland? Oh, we were all over. We went to Cork and, of course, Dublin. I've been there a couple times. Oh, yeah. it was great. Do you know what part of it? did the... hurling. Oh, you did hurling? And we uh, had ice cream made with the, you know, with the great uh, milk from the cows. And we had Irish whiskey, went to um, Guinness, uh, of Kilbegan, and I learned how to pour a Guinness, went to uh, the, the pub that's a hardware store and pub. And <laughs> there's, there's one in Oregon after that. We went to, and they said, we got, my father went to Dublin, and he saw this thing, which I had been to the original. Oh, I loved Ireland, and Connor Pass is so stunningly beautiful. Do you know where your family's from? Do you know what part? Uh, my mother's family was from uh, Kilkenny. Kilkenny. We went down there. And- I'm not sure. It's funny. You know, uh, when we went to Sicily, I met family that I'd never met, and they knew I existed, and I heard tales of them. But uh, it was great. It was all family-based, this Sicily episode, or mostly. And it was I've been just to Sicily wonderful. a couple times. Oh, yeah. Well, great, you know yeah. what city they're from? Yeah, Chimina. Okay. You know the actor Anthony LaPaglia? Yeah. From Without a Trace? So when I did the show, Without a Trace, I was an actor before I did Booze Traveler. Uh, I was telling the story. And because his family, LaPaglia, they went to Australia, my family, LaPaglia, 
went to Chicago and Boston. So I guess we're related because, you know, <laughs> but because back in Italy, if you had a certain last name, you generally came from one town. You're yeah, not over, yeah, over yeah. the whole country, right? And for me, it was funny because as I told him that, you know, it's a, hey, cuz, you know, just joking <laughs> around on set. So we're probably related, but I haven't reached out to him since, of course. Nice guy and great actor, but it's funny. When I went back there, they were just telling us tales of this one is from there and Scorsese's family yeah. and everything else. Uh, Anthony Rizzo, who plays for the Cubs. It was just really uh, such a special experience for me. And I loved Ireland, but we didn't just do anything with my family. I guess it would be too much too much Jack, not enough country, I guess. <laughs> right. We already did that in Sicily, Jack and his family. Well, let's go. And you mentioned the uh, cancer. And did the end of the show, was it going to end anyway, or did it end because you came down, you were diagnosed? I really don't think it had anything to do with it, because I was diagnosed in April 2016, in the middle of a season, and I told the network, of course, I thought I should, I had a moral obligation to deliver that news, and they took it well, and they said they would back me, and, you know, anything I needed, same with the production company. And my doctor, because it's very slow growing, he said, do you have any symptoms at all? I said, I don't know. What are the symptoms? Well, you get tired and, you know, you feel swollen. Yeah, how do you know? We all get tired. I'm doing thousands thousands of miles a year and I'm drinking weird stuff and I'm shooting 16 (laughs) hours a day. Of course I'm tired. And, of course, my my legs swell up. I'm on a plane all the time. He said, well, listen, if you're not really sick, sick, we'll just keep an eye on it. It's a medical term called benign neglect. They just watch it, and then we do scans. And the first scan after the diagnosis had actually gotten a tiny bit better. Same with the second scan. And then we wait six months because you don't want to do too much. It's uh, all that radiation. So the next one got a little worse. And then after that, he said, "Eh, if this one gets worse, we should do something. And it did. And so then I went into chemo. So the... But they canceled the show based on other factors, I believe. I, I could never say it was because of that. I, I think that uh, they were going in a different direction with the tone of the network. As you know, if you know Travel Channel, um, they have great shows on. It's just more, more of a paranormal bent, I think. They're than hunting ghosts. Than, no. Right. And Bigfoot. Different and kind things. of spirits. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> right. the, uh, but, I mean, you can still find Booze Traveler in places like uh, a cruise ship. For example, it's on the TV and the cruise ship. As you know. I, like, I can't get away from this guy. Yeah, that's Jesus. funny. For those who don't know. There's Maxwell again. Mike does uh, cruise ships sometimes <laughs> as a comedian. and he saw, it's Oh, still, they know it. They've heard it. It's still on airplanes. It's on in other countries because we're a season or two behind. Okay. That was, it was funny to me. Where you I seen would, your place? Uh, your, <laughs> I get planes? recognized in other countries, It was, which is really strange. They'd come up to me. And they would speak in their language, and then they'd say, Jack Maxwell. And, and sometimes it wouldn't even be booze traveler. Like in, uh, in Italy, it's called Un Mondo de Berry, A World of Drinks. <laughs> and, That's nice. Uh, yeah. Do they dub it or subtitle it? Uh, both. Oh, yeah? You get someone, to hear yourself speaking in other languages? Someone sent me one from Greece where they do both. It's subtitled and dubbed, and, which is great. And <laughs> South America, it's all over South America. So someone came up to me in Peru and said, oh, I love your show, and they had strong accent, Peruvian accent. And I said, where do you watch it? Right here. So it's really great that <laughs> they, they gave it that kind of exposure. Yeah, I won't say anything bad about Travel Channel. I just have nothing bad to say about them because they gave me a show for four years, so 
I'm just grateful. So you went through chemo and you took some time off. You went to Arizona, said to heal and get a little better. And <laughs> yeah, I've been living treatment. in LA since 1996, technically. Then I was diagnosed and I was still doing the show. And then I figured I had to do something according to the doctor. So even though it was a long time between diagnosis and chemo, November 2017, I was going to start and I figured I would go to the desert. It was more healing. I have friends and family in Arizona. Sedona is right there. And I just wanted to get out of the LA scene for a while to heal there and come back here to do work. And I knew I had one shot at it. When you heal, you want to heal well and really get over it. And I wanted to listen to my doctor. And I knew if I was there, I'd just be focusing on that, not worrying about auditions. Yeah, or saying, I see oh, that. You know, I got to go study. Or I have to, uh, someone asked me to do a play, but I got chemo that yeah. day. Maybe I can do both. I just went yeah, through the health, and that's that. Yeah. You know, you got nothing. And that's why nothing. I did it. I agree. So is... Uh, are you in the clear now, or are you still something you got to monitor? I don't know how this works. Yeah, that's tricky because it's a blood disease, so you're never really cured. It's always there. It could be hiding in organs and what have you. Oh, so I'm told. So you got to keep an eye on it. So you about. keep an eye on it. It it uh, it got small enough to not be considered a threat anymore. But as maintenance, I do one day every two months for two years. So it's not bad. It's not the six-hour treatment that I was going through when I did the main portion of chemo for four months. So, yeah, and I handled it really well in a sense that I didn't lose my hair. I didn't get sick. And they they asked me about both. I said, well, I, have, I don't know why my hair didn't fall out. But uh, the poison, I've been poisoning myself for years yeah. with drinks. <laughs> Maybe you pickled yourself yeah, so much. It. Chemo is nothing. I've had <laughs> fermented mare's milk. That's Are right. you kidding me? Uh, hopefully that didn't do it. I've had spit beer. <laughs> no, I'm sure it didn't. They said I had it for years because it's so slow growing. I just didn't know. So um, it's it was just it was just great. You know, listen, you, you could say, well, listen, if you if you didn't get cancer, you'd still have a show. Maybe yes, maybe no. I don't know. And again. That's not why they, they're not doing the show anymore. But I just think that if, look, everything happens to, most of everything happens to all of us. It's how you handle it that makes a difference. So when the nurse was talking to me, my oncology nurse, before I started chemo, and she said, uh, are you listening to me? Right in the middle of a sentence. I said, of course I am. And I repeated back what she'd been talking about. She goes, because you don't seem affected by this. You're happy and, and you think you're going to be fine. And I said, I think I am. Because here's the secret, or, or what I wanted to do. Certainly no secret. I got some noise-canceling headphones. There's a song that I think is the most beautiful song ever written. I had 28 different instrumental versions of that. Valari? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anything but Valari. Exactly, please. I beg you. Anything oh. but this song. And I, I put a, I had a face mask I got. I put ear, uh, wax earplugs in and then the cans over that. And it's like got, a sensory deprivation. Got, exactly tank. right. Because people wake up from that treatment crying and screaming. It's like a big Manny Petty salon. Everyone looks at each other doing it. There's, Chairs and so what chairs. Is, how does I have no idea how it works. Is it is this radiation or chemo? Chemo. So is it like IVs in you? Yeah. You're just sitting there. Just sitting For there. How long? In a in a recliner. Mine was about six hours. Ugh. And but everyone's facing each other. It's a big room. There's probably four, eight, twelve, sixteen, maybe. Is anybody talking or some people want to chat? But I was out because I'm putting myself yeah, okay. in that in that place. And uh, you wake up 
screaming because it, 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 it burns or it doesn't yeah. feel good or God forbid they blow a vein and then it, you have this big black mark on your arm that pulls up, which they did. They blew a vein in the fourth week of mine. Yeah. Um, but And it's different kinds of treatments too and different kind of cancers. So you see, see a lot of caps on people because they're bald and what have you. And I go in there and look relatively healthy because of my cancer and my treatment. But the nurse finally said to me, wow, I'm surprised, but that shit that you did really worked, you know? <laughs> All of that stuff, you put yourself in a, you know, a mindset. Like as actors, we try to get into a character. Yeah, a positive and, mental attitude is, everyone is said, massive. I think so too. Of everyone said, health. F cancer. Everyone said that. And I said, no, it's not going to be that for me. It's, I have cancer. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to welcome the chemo, the poison, into my body because it's going to heal me. It's going to do something for me. So we're on the same team. I was never putting up my fist. Oh, I got you cancer. I'm going to knock you out. And all that. <laughs> It was never that. It was an acceptance that this is part of life. And either I have this attitude about it or that. This one is going to be healthy and more calm. And I'll have a peace of mind this way, more peace of mind, as opposed to fighting it and battling it like it's going to be a knockout match. And I got through it, and I was fine. So now that you're you're back, I mean, you look fine. You're back working. You're yeah, back in town here. I am. And uh, so tell us what you're working on now, and what do you got coming up? Well, I have a uh, thing that I'm hosting, a special, and it's called The High Road, and it's about America's changing perceptions of cannabis, vis-a-vis medical cannabis and what have you. Seniors are now getting off of their medications, which in a lot of cases they cannot afford, mm-hmm. and turning to medicinal cannabis. we got a great cannabis. system. It's, oh, it's a perfect. Yeah, it's great, right? <laughs> and the opioid crisis killing thousands of people a year. And for all this time, we were lied to, I think, about how horrible cannabis was. And I'm not saying it's a magical cure-all or it's always great for you in every circumstance, but it has done so much, especially with CBD, for pain, inflammation, helping people sleep. Nausea. Anxiety, nausea, all of it. Did you use it for your, while chemo, while you're going through chemo? You know, the only way it affected me, really, or the way it affected me the most, chemo, was I was having trouble sleeping because during the main chemo process, whenever I closed my eyes, I would see brilliant bright white and blue flashes like lightning bolts or paparazzi cameras back in the old day when the bulb would explode. That's what was going off in my eyes. And it was really, it was not painful, but it was just so bright and so sharp. Hard to sleep. Very hard to sleep. (laughs) So someone suggested I take CBD oil and I finally came around to it and it actually worked. And I said, wait a minute. This is part of the marijuana family, right? Cannabis is either hemp well, or separate, marijuana. CBD oil is a separate thing, right? Well, so... You can have something that has non... Yes. Well, uh, by definition, it's CBD, THC, or both. But the cannabis plant either has it either is hemp or marijuana. So it grows either, as you say, like CBD, or if it has 0.03% uh, THC then it's marijuana. That's the psychoactive thing that gets you high. Cool. Yeah. But most, uh, but the, the other one, CBD, is they say more of a body high than a mind high. But it can do really great things for people, and it's been proven. So after it helped me sleep, I said, wait a minute, there's got to be more to this story. There's got to be people out there who are benefiting in ways that we never thought they could. 
So I go on the road all over America getting stories from people, everything from elderly folks who are benefiting to uh, former NBA players or one guy who's a, a rap star who uh, has his own brand coming out. But we go everything from the beginning of it, where it's planted, how it, excuse me, how it grows, um, how it's packaged, how it's put into either edibles or oils or tinctures or flour, which is, is how you smoke it, or all kinds of things, even breath strips, cookies, brands, everything. And it's such a big business now that I think they're recognizing in politics that there's a lot of money there. So it's it's uh, the genie's out of the bottle. It's not going back. So they've just removed the restriction on hemp. It was prohibited since 1937. And now it's not. So it's a state by state. It's, so it's, it's, it's fine. Uh, CBD, supposedly. There's still some states that get after you. But, but THC or marijuana... It, we're in California. It's recreationally yeah. available here and in some other places. It's like 10, 10 states or something like that or more? Something like, yeah, 10, Less, 11 right 11. now. But there's 30 or so that okay it for medicinal purposes, yeah. medical marijuana, so-called. So it's changing. And so this thing is all about about that and the people who are really telling great stories about this thing they didn't want to do, didn't want to believe in, was told it was horrible. Nixon made it a class one felony during his time. And so now they're, they're changing their perceptions of it, and we're exploring all of that. And uh, if you follow me on social media, you'll see uh, more about it. Now, we're going to, uh, I'll, I'll keep you posted. My Instagram is Southie Jack, S O U T H I E J A C K, because South Boston. Mm-hmm. Same on Twitter. And just Jack Maxwell on Facebook. There's a ton of us. So you just have to, if you don't know what I look like, just find me on Instagram <laughs> or Twitter. So and I'll gonna, keep you posted. This is going to air as a special somewhere? Yeah, it's a special. We don't know exactly yet. Okay. We're, we're going to break it up into segments. Uh, but we have a lot of content. We'll see what we do with it. It's not a series. So when it's on, you better catch it. So, or else. as uh, you know, because most people here are. Uh, you know, they're listening because they're into travel. Um, were there places you went to that you said, you know what, I'm going to come back here on my own, other than Italy and you know, Ireland? Oh, are, there, sure. are there places that you went, you know what, I can't wait to come back here on a vacation or something? Uh, there are so many places. I love the islands. Which islands? There's a lot of islands out there in the world. Sure, the Caribbean is just you, so nice. I, so well, I, you I've didn't been, like it? I've been going to the Caribbean a lot. No, so if you don't like it, why years. do you go? I mean, well, now I'm doing the ships. Oh, so I'm there yeah. all the time, and well, that's, that's a different. different. That's yeah. different. We're right Which islands are you going to? With Blue Water, uh, Saint Lucia, mm-hmm. Antigua, Barbados, Jamaica. It's just it can get rough. I mean, you you go off the beaten path. I mean, the the locals are uh, Dominica. Uh, yeah, no, it can uh, be it's poor, but they're I, poor. oh, and by the way, the most beautiful place on earth, in my opinion, and it's not even close. We- Tahiti. Okay, I still haven't been. Stunning, Mike. I, we went you from bring the a airport. Girl there, though, uh, don't you? I mean, all those islands. It's just it's the most romantic island. It's just for sure. It's gonna be all honeymooners there. For sure, it is. Yeah. But it was great because we we went from the airport to this little island on which I was staying, and I could see through to the bottom, even ten feet deep. Yeah, it was like a swimming pool. And I thought, 
Is that what the ocean was like the first day on Earth? Yeah, before man screwed it up. Mucked it up. And I know some places have more sediment and rocks and things like that, but it's just so visually stunning. I went to a place where they grew vanilla and we had vanilla rum Mm. and all that stuff. It was really the most peaceful and beautiful place. Although Hawaii is great and a lot of islands. I'd I'd love to go back to Scotland. They were just so fun. And everyone has a wee dram of scotch with (laughs) them that they're willing to share with you. It was Ireland, of course. I'd like to go back to Italy, France. Uh, Iceland was cool because it okay, was so, I haven't been. Oh, so exotic. And it's just fun because I, Finland, Norway, there's so many. I, South Africa again, Spain I'd love to go back to. Season one was Turkey, Iceland, Spain, Austria, Peru, Mongolia, Japan, Nepal, Lithuania, Armenia, the Netherlands, Belize, South Africa, Tennessee, and Louisiana. I'd go back to all of See? those. And you say your memory's getting bad. That's pretty good. Uh, yeah, I don't you ask just me, rattled that don't off. Don't ask me quick. to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> but I, there's, there's very few places I wouldn't want to go back to. You know, we have limited time and resources, yeah. of course. But uh, yeah, Iceland was great because uh, some places really, everyone loves to laugh. Some are a little more reserved. Like Germany, I found them a little reserved, although no. they, but they, they're just different. It's just different, right? Yeah, Siberia, right. some of them. But, but yeah, I still haven't been to Russia. Sometimes and they don't oh. smile at all. So, uh, Siberia was bad because it's so cold. It was yeah. dirty below most of the time. And Russians drink more than they, just about any. That was a famous Anthony Bourdain quote. I don't, he's like, I don't care how tough you think you are. Any Russian can drink you under the table. Well, that's the thing, you know, of all places on earth, who drinks the most per capita? Is it Russia? South Korea. Oh yeah, they. I've been to Seoul. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they—it's all part of uh, business. You isn't, know, you see these crazy? drunken businessmen just just stumbling home. Yeah, all over the place. It's it's part of their culture. It, yeah. it would seem, but in Iceland they were a little reserved. And one guy makes moss into a liqueur, and so moss. We, yeah, okay. so we had to go pick this moss, and he gave me a basket. And it was the scene was getting a little dry, <laughs> and just picking moss is not the most exciting looking thing. No, I'm on riveted. Television. I'm yeah. riveted. <laughs> There's a point, I promise. So he gives me the basket. He says, "Basket." He says, "Now it's time to gather the moss. Will you do it with me?" And I said, "Sure, of course I'll help you." But you know who wouldn't? Mick Jagger. He wouldn't do it because <laughs> he's a Rolling Stone. Gather. He gathers no moss. Because I could, That's I was. Quick. That's improv training. No, I, I have no improv training. <laughs> but, but I had to make it fun and interesting. And because it's not just about the scene; it's sure. about the interaction with people. And once they understood that that you were there to also have fun, they they lightened right up. How was the moss liquor? It was great. <laughs> A little oh, yeah. sweet. It, I'm telling you, it's great for sore throats and all that. It's amazing. Oh, cool. You go there, try some moss liquor. <laughs> Find it anywhere. Um, store near you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess we should wrap this up now. You, we got things to do. You're a busy man. No, no, no. again. I'll stay with you all day. This is great. <laughs> um, oh, I didn't get your... Uh, we, we heard about the craziest thing you drank. What about the, of all these travels, the craziest thing you ate? Wow! Uh, did you do the insects in Asia? Did you sure? Do, uh, yeah, I did in China and Thailand. I did. I, I ate. Um, I ate a tarantula in Cambodia that we baked uh, right on the grill over an open flame, and which is weird. It tastes like for? a baked potato. Oh, really? Because it swells up like Jiffy Pop. <laughs> the body does, and then you slice it. The steam comes out, and then you eat the little beads like Dippin' Dots, but a lot smaller. <laughs> but it tastes like a baked potato. Really? 
That's one of the strange. How about hakarl, which what is, is fermented shark in Iceland? Uh, Maybe the worst thing I've ever had because it wasn't completely. Uh, what happens when it's, it's like lutefisk in in Sweden? Worse, it's really worse. I've had it. Do they do it with an iodine makes, like them? It makes lutefisk taste like uh, dark chocolate. No, <laughs> I'm telling you, this stuff. A shark, when a shark dies, doesn't have kidneys. So the urea has to render through the skin. When it dies, that process stops. So they have to ferment it for eight weeks so it's so you can eat, it's edible at, even, at all. Okay. But this was hanging in the shed. And the guy who makes it says, well, it's only been there for two weeks, not eight. Have some. And he, he and the bad thing is, not only does it taste like uh, a baby diaper <laughs> smells, it's like a tire. It's so hard. Oh, it's like rubber. You, You're yeah, just it's rubber. Chewing and chewing yeah. and chewing. It's like it, it, it's like cartilage. It's it's yeah. It's it's like a tire dipped in ammonia. They don't cook it at all. No, it's fermented and raw, oh. and so it's hard to get down. You can't just swallow it real quick, like an egg yolk, right there. Yeah. No, and so I had a piece, and he laughed at me, and he said, "If you have a second piece, uh, I'll give you a sticker that said I had another piece because nobody does." <laughs> so I did, and my stomach was just re- repulsing. It just closed yeah. down. And he said, I'll tell you what, no one has ever done this. If you have a third piece, I will make a big cod dinner for you tonight. We'll go fishing, all that stuff. So I said, okay. Yeah, but you'll never eat again. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'll have to recover from this. So he gave it to me, and I ate it, and he's laughing the whole time. He's a big, strong, funny, happy guy. (laughs) And after I was done with that... My my, I looked like a Picasso painting. My face was all contorted and <laughs> twisted, and it was really, uh, oh. But at the end of it, he looks me in the eye, and I say, yeah, give me a fourth piece. <laughs> so I, I, I had it, and he put his arm around me. He goes, you're okay. Let's go have a dinner. So And, and a lot of that is not pre-produced moments already. It's just fun. Uh, things that we just do on the fly. But that was easily the worst thing I've ever had food-wise. And you could eat dinner after that? Uh, It was hours and hours later. But I was also drinking moonshine. So he makes this moonshine. uh, Maybe that killed it. Out on the boat. By itself, the moonshine was just like drinking gasoline. But to chase the rotten shark, bring it. Give me that, because <laughs> yeah. it, clen- it talk about cleansing the palate, <laughs> cleansing the, uh, the everything. Yeah, the intestines. No, Jesus, Mike, intestines. See, bad improv. Everything. Couldn't even come up with it. That's right. You'll edit that. No yeah, I'll, I'll take know that you out. Said that. Said that joke didn't even exist. Uh oh, it made the final cut. <laughs> well, finally, uh, after all the places you've been. And uh, coming back, this is like a standard question I ask because I'm always fascinated about it. What did going to all these places teach you about yourself and maybe America and people in general? What did you learn from all this? That's a good question. I would say the one thing I took that stayed with me or made that had the greatest impact on me was that no matter what, no matter where you go, who the people are, what color their skin is, what religion they practice, what ethnicity, what they eat, what they drink, where they live, that we have so much more in common as people than we do differences. And when I would go there and I would see how much we had in common, all of those other things melted away. And it just became two people talking and laughing over a drink. So what I learned about myself is don't prejudge. Like I was saying to you before, you have a picture of a place 
and you say, oh, like Mongolia, I just pictured Genghis Khan right. and sand. That's it. <laughs> and it's so much more than that. Of course, just like when people picture the United States, who knows what they think of. But uh, So I learned that to really fully immerse myself into, into what I'm doing, but be there in the moment. Don't think about the past or the future or how it's going to cut together or what we're going to do, but truly live that experience. That's how you get the most out of it. So that being said... After I started doing that and just really uh, lived in the moment, everything was enriched. It was just, I mean, it was just two people talking to each other, having that experience. And once you give them your full attention and you're really there and you're loving everything about where you are, they just open up so much. When they don't think they're being interviewed, when they no longer feel that there's a camera on them, but it's someone having a human experience they just open right up, and that's when I thought the show got much better. That's great. Well, no, you were great on it, and I'm glad we could finally reconnect, man. I'm glad uh, you're healthy, and you're going to be back in town. So Thank we'll you. To yeah, out. me too. It's we good might to even see have you to get some booze while you're you're back in town. Can you drink anymore? Or? Sure. Well, I yeah, actually, I don't. It? I don't drink anymore. Really? I don't drink any less. It's about the same, really. <laughs> Of course I do. Let's not get crazy. <laughs> yeah, a little bit now come on. And then. Come on. Irish medicine. Well, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. It's Great to pleasure. see you. You look good. Good to see you too. Thank and, you. Uh, uh, continued good health, my friend. And we'll do it again. Jack Maxwell, everybody. He couldn't stop Jack while the words were slapping. And they couldn't prevent Jack from being happy. 